Welcome to our podcast, A Place Called Porch. I'm your host, Megan Zamora, and I invite you to kick back, relax, and enjoy the friendship, history, and stories of the Porch Band of Creek Indians. As we were talking about putting together a podcast for the tribe, our first thought was to reach out to our tribal council members because they're the leaders of our tribe. And we thought, you know, a lot of people are probably going to be interested about the stories that they would have to share. So we reached out to tribal council and after getting several interviews scheduled, it ended up that tribal council member Keith Martin was my first interview. So it is my pleasure to share with you the interview that I had with Keith Martin. And I will tell you that I enjoyed my time with Keith immensely, and I think you'll enjoy it too. Keith, thank you so much for joining us today. So I've known you for quite a few years now, and we've worked together on several things. And one thing that I love so much about you is your ability to make a story come to life. I think you're one of the best, probably most underrated storytellers that we have here. One of the things that I know a lot of people ask whenever you first come into the community or you're meeting new people is, who's your family? How do you connect to Porch? So why don't we start there? Share with us, how, how do you connect to Porch? I connect to Porch through my great-grandmother was Alice Rowan. That is a Uncle Tom's sister, and Eliza Walker was a sister, a lot of walkers in Pensacola. That's through the rolling side, and uh, my grandfather was Willis McGee, and he was my mother's father, so I kind of tie together on two different ends. So did you grow up in the porch community, or did you grow up outside of the porch community? I grew up in the porch community uh, you could throw a rock and hit the powwow grounds. So it was very, we were pretty poverty stricken back in those days. And my mother, a lot of, a lot of members went to Illinois to work in a uh, Goodyear power steering hose factory. My uncle Doug Martin, John Arthur McGee, a lot of the McGees, some Colberts went up there. And my mama, left me with my granny and my grandmother and Aunt Jean, artist. Jean was about 15 back then. And she went to Illinois to work in, a, in that factory and she would send money home to us. But, and so it was a tight-knit community. The, and I've said this before, the, the ladies, the, the tribal member ladies, all the aunts raised the whole bunch of us. I think that Julianne McGee Abney uh, probably holds the record for many whoopings as I got. <laughs> Hattie made her sister is second, but you didn't want to get whipped by her because she would whip you and take a break and then whip you again. <laughs> so you didn't mess up around Hattie made too much. And that was on one side of us to the east on, on the road. and. Uh, to the south was my Aunt Marie Martin and Peggy Sue Couch, and they didn't hold back either. They would get you too. So the term takes a village to raise a child, those ladies, and the men too. I saw how my Uncle Otha, you know, 
Ann Howard McGee and uh, DC Daughtry and Eugene Sales, how they would go to work every day and then they go get groceries on Saturdays and bring the change back. My my grandmother was a widow and uh, the men of the community took care of everybody, but the women dealt out the instructions and the punishment. Don't you think it's interesting how when you study Creek, Muscogee Creek culture, we're really not that far removed from how it was back then because, you know, women back then really, they ran the household. The men went off and, you know, they did the hunting and they met on things, you know, whether it's conflicts and that sort of thing. But the women really ran the household and took care of the land and, and took care of the children and the farming and that sort of thing. I've always, I, just hearing you speak about that, I found that, that kind of came to my memory. And I'm like, you know, we really aren't that far removed from from that Creek culture. I think it's in our DNA. It's uh, what we are, who we are. Even to Baldwin County and, and Escambia County became counties, I've read where a Creek brother and sister would share their mother's property and if the brother passed before, he'd leave a will, leaving everything to his sister, not to his heirs. Huh. It caused a lot of consternation back in the old days. But there's one line that says, I bequeath all my worldly goods to my sister, they're rightfully hers anyways. Oh, so wow. that's the matrilineal yeah. descent. We got that in off somewhere. It was a pretty cool story. So the matrilineal part of our culture it really didn't matter who your daddy was you were a part of your mother's clan your uncle on your mother's side or your grandfather would teach you if you're a boy teach you what you needed to do how to conduct yourself and then the women would do the day-to-day business and i even read this to, to divorce somebody back in the day all a woman had to do was put all of his possessions outside the house <laughs> it ain't that easy and now he would be no fussing. He would get his goods and go stay in a common area. And then after green corn, they were both able to get other mates. Move but on. they had to wait until green corn. That's very interesting. I, I've heard part of that. I hadn't heard that whole story, though. I think one thing that people would be surprised to know about you, Keith, is you're very well read. You read a lot. What are you reading right now? I have on my desk right now uh, some of our federal recommend. Well, it's the history of the four people that actually got land grants in this area. It was Cal McGee, Samoy, Silent Oath, the Sea Silent. I think I've heard people say Samoy mm-hmm. with the Sea Silent. Lynn McGee, and there was a descendant. So Susan Marlowe actually received a land grant but we don't i can't find who what her father's name was i hmm. don't know if that was a married name or her maiden name i don't know i hmm. don't know if her father was Marlowe, which is not a real common name in Greek history but yeah rollins and mcgee's and colbert's and weatherford's and manax we all are kind of tied together yeah so you have a background in auto mechanics. Mm-hmm. 
tell me um, how does an auto mechanic become an at-large council member of one of the most successful tribes in the nation? I think the good Lord has a strange sense of humor. <laughs> I was kind of wild in my younger days. That's why I got all the whoopings all over the community. Everybody in the community knew me, knows me. And uh, I figured that it was time to grow up when I turned about 39. had a brother get killed, and that kind of woke me up. And when I was 39, ran for council about when I turned 40 in 2005, I ran for council, but it was 2005 and got elected in 06, mm. June of 06. What made you decide to run in the first place? Because that's kind of a big jump from, you know, working at a, at a car dealership, right? You were working at a car dealership. Yeah, but, I mean, when we would grow watermelons, I'd pass them out through the community. We'd grow, have excess peas, we'd go give them to somebody. A widow, I mean, I deliver watermelons all over this, all over the porch community, head of the Dita community. Porch that we call porch is not really the porch that was back when I was a kid. This was called head of the Dita. So I still remember I like to play basketball. Wasn't very good, but I would bang on people pretty good. But <laughs> we got a grant to do the gym. Mm-hmm. And the only thing we could get with the grant was a concrete slab and the shell of the building. Mm-hmm. I think we got, we started on that wood floor that's still in that gym. So that floor of that gym is treated two to sixes, stripped across the concrete, and then treated tongue and groove, three-quarter inch plywood. And I don't know how many thousands of those little boards there are, but we would put them down one at a time. So... I mean, that goes back, I don't know how old it was back then, but probably 20, 22. So, been helping out around here forever. Uh-huh. We all had wells. Yeah. It wasn't the community water system back then. Right. But so, you were just they well. Me, well, they needed firewood, I'd, I'd go get firewood for them. Gotcha. If they needed splitting kindling, I'd stop and chop the wood. Yeah. It's a. Just saw, you know, all the other men in the community when I was a kid. It's just what yeah. you did. Yeah. Sounds like you had some really good mentors and examples. Um, Learn what not to do as well. Yeah. I had some not so good mentors. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, that's part of it, though. That's that's part of um, learning, and you gotta you got to see the good and the bad at the same time and make your own decision from there. You know, talking about the community and and kind of how it was in your youth and your childhood and your younger adult years, do you think the community is still the same or do you think that it has changed over the years? Well, I think it's actually come to my mind. I was driving through the community and D.C. Daughtry had a car, Howard McGee had a car, Faye. Jackson had a car, so we had three. Uncle Otha had a white Chevrolet pickup truck. Eugene Sales had a car, and my Uncle A.D. had a car. I think pretty sure Peggy and Julianne. So that's eight vehicles in the whole community. 
Now there are two or three or four cars in everybody's driveway. I mean, it's really changed. Back in the old days, it was really dark back in here. weren't, weren't that many rooftops, and and it to see it lit up now is just a huge difference to me. Yeah. It's got sidewalks. I never thought I'd see sidewalks in Portland <laughs> or head of the deal. Yeah. So, what does a good day look like for you? Nobody calls needing some immediate help. Immediate, well, I, I try to help people every chance to get, but if nobody calls in a dire situation, I guess is what I'd say. Yeah, and that's a good day. So, you've been on council now since 2005. Six. Since 2006. What have you? What do you think has been the biggest thing you have learned, or what are some things that you've learned since being on tribal council? That it's when you have the ability to affect someone's life and livelihood in a good way or a negative way, you better weigh that responsibility very soberly and. It is a huge responsibility to bear once you make the decisions. You gotta live with it. So it's easy to sit down in the crowd and say they ought to do this and they ought to do that, but when you are the one responsible and if something goes wrong, it's gonna be on your head, you weigh it a lot differently than from from that side of the table than you do from the crowd. That's true. Keith, as a council member, I know that you are met with a lot of uh, decisions on a daily basis, certainly every council meeting and the workshops as well. Can you talk us through how do you make decisions? What's your decision-making process? You know, um, they bring a policy or, a, you know, hey, I need you to vote on this thing. How do you go through weighing out that decision before you determine which way you're going to act? I do a lot of prayer. I do a lot of thinking, and I ask people I respect's advice. Uh, some of these cats are more educated. They tend to be able to make these decisions on the fly, but I have to think about things and ponder on it. No, I think that's, that. I mean, I can't ask for more than that uh, out of a council member for sure. I wish. You know, try to do what's so at uh, the tribal council. You know, we've done some bonehead moves in the past. I'm not going to say we haven't, but when we get in a room as a body, we generally do what is best for the tribe. It's when we leave that meeting and we become individuals, and then our families start talking to us and our friends start talking to us that. We become individualized and we, we do different things. But when we we act as a body, most of the time, it is for the good of the people and it's the right thing to do. I think that's a great way to explain it too, Keith, because I feel like a lot of our members and maybe even the general public fail to recognize that, you know, you're, you really are just one individual and you know, whenever you make a decision or whenever you are looking at a piece of legislation, you can only meet that document with all of the experience and knowledge that you've had, you know, and that you've accumulated over your lifetime. 
And one thing that I have found is, you know, working closely with counsel over the years, you know, people might approach me and say, well, why didn't y'all think about this? Or why didn't you think about that? And it's like, you know, that, I don't know, that, that is a, that's a fair perspective. But whenever you're kind of in the room, I mean, I think it goes back to that old, um, old cliche, you know, it's, it's easy to be Monday morning quarterback, but whenever you're right there in the room and sometimes being asked to make decisions on the fly, and sometimes you don't always have the benefit of being able to think it all the way through and, you know, you have to do the best that you can. Yeah, that's the pitfalls of, you know, being a being a tribe. There are pitfalls, uh, but I don't, I, I've got to say it now, I'm not going to apologize for being a tribe to anybody. And you cannot run a tribe like you run a major corporation because we're all so interrelated. That's right. And... You know, we got all we got a lot of policy. We created a lot of policy. We created a lot of bureaucracy. But sometimes you gotta use your head and, and in your heart and be uh, mindful of people's needs. And sometimes that falls outside that policy, and you gotta be willing to help when you have to and, and go against policy. But I think that also goes back to our cultural roots in this community. You know, we kind of started off talking about how you grew up here and how you witnessed people just helping each other, you know. And now I think uh, one of the maybe one of the downsides of being successful is everybody has grown very independent. You know, you still have those that, um, you know, certainly need extra help and have, you know, different situations that require just a little just a little extra oomph and a little extra lifting up. But. Like you said, everybody in this community has got at least one vehicle, if not two or three. And so we're not we're not quite as reliant on each other as what we used to be. And in some ways, that's kind of a that's kind of a bad thing because you you don't have as much of a connection anymore between each other, you know. Yeah, we've become so successful so fast that we've had our growing pains. Mm-hmm. Uh, by that I mean just learning how to handle the success and, and not let it, you know, go to your head and, and you think everything you touch is going to turn to gold, but that is not always the case. We've had, we have made mistakes, but all in all, I think we have better the lives and livelihoods of a lot of people and not just tribal members, employees, community, these businesses in town, I mean, this whole area has been affected by our tribe's decisions, decisions made by that tribal council. That's right. Um, you talk about making some bad decisions. Have you learned from them, though? Yeah, try to. <laughs> That's the important thing. You ain't always going to get it right. Yeah. You're absolutely correct, Keith. I mean, our footprint has certainly expanded over the years. I remember before Granny passed away, it was not long after... We had built Wind Creek Atmore. I was with great granny, uh, Bernstein, and we were meeting Brent for lunch, as a matter of fact, because every once in a while we would catch him and we would go have lunch with him over at the casino. And I remember asking granny, I said, granny, growing up in this community, I said, did you ever in a million years think that we would have something like Wind Creek Atmore, have the things she said? She shook her little head. She said, no, I never did. <laughs> the mayor of Atmore back in the old days, I won't 
call his name, he's deceased now, but I was at Chevrolet place and we had a concept, a conceptual drawing of the casino. And I went and showed it to him and he thought I was crazy. <laughs> and I won't say what he said, but that casino was sticking out of the ground over there. So one thing I have learned is don't tell me it can't be done either because it can. Now it took us 30 years. Yeah. You know, I was only involved with the struggle for that probably five or six years before we actually got it. But back to the service. So, I mean, I started on the gaming commission. We actually had the first meeting of the Porch Creek Indian Gaming Commission was in the back of St. Anne's Episcopal Church. And I thought, surely lightning's fixing to strike off. <laughs> we were sitting in the back of St. Anne's Episcopal Church talking about how to regulate gaming and that the technology was coming and the machines were getting more and more popular at the bingo hall. Mm -hmm. And then it was me, Peggy Couch, Raymond Rowland, William Bailey, and Lamar Martin. That was the first gaming commission of Forge Creek Indians. It's probably, I don't even know if it's written down anywhere, but it's that's who it was. <laughs> We're, we are a community that is founded on God and religious beliefs, and yet um, we have this juxtaposition of gaming. And how do you, uh, how do you reconcile the two? God did it. God's the one that put us where we are. I don't know if it's the result of a lot of prayer that our elders put together and sent up years and years and years ago before our time, or but our blessings come from God. So that's exactly right. I couldn't agree with you more. When you look to the future of the Porch Band of Creek Indians, what concerns you the most? Wow. What concerns me the most is us forgetting where we come from and who we are and the inner fighting, the inner bickering. And I think that we ourselves are our worst enemy that, that's out there. I think we've, we've you know, won our court cases. We've been challenged by the counties. We got a case, we got a lot of case law in federal court that we won. So that was the biggest threat back in the day, but our successes and the internal bickering and fighting and throwing rocks at each other is our our biggest Achilles heel. But you know, Keith, it's ironic how history really does repeat itself over and over and over again. And I kind of feel like, you know, even as we're here in this present moment, kind of feel like we're on a continuum of um, kind of how history has played out over the years. Because when you look back at Creek history, I mean, how much more internal strife can you get than the Creek Indian War? You know, it was a that's, civil war amongst ourselves. That is very true. Uh, that's but we need to try to do everything we can to keep that from happening. And learning from it. And I remember hearing at some of those... Um, when we had those evening with the elders, um, some of the, I was reading through some of those transcripts, and it talked about how there were 
certainly naysayers against um, Calvin McGee whenever he was going. And there were people that were like, you're wasting your time. So, I mean, there's always been sort of that not everybody's always going to be on the same page. But um, but I agree. I, I hope that as a community, we will always be able to put aside our differences and, and come together in love and, and as a community um, and support each other. When a death or death happens or a baby gets born, we're all together in love one accord. That's true. It's the in-between that gets us. That's true. So my last question for you is, what does it mean to you to be Porch Creek? First of all, I think that I am blessed to be Porch Creek, and I didn't do anything on my end to deserve it because of I mean, my mom is who she is, and that's how I'm a Porch Creek Indian. And just got to be mindful of that and the community taking care of each other, making sure everybody's, you know, got firewood and food and just sticking together. Well, Keith, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you sharing some stories with us. And um, is there anything else that you want to share before we end this time together? That'll do it. All right. Well, I sure appreciate you. We hope you enjoyed your time with us today. For more information about the Porch Band of Creek Indians, please visit our website, porchcreekindians.org. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, A Place Called Porch.